I'm Nicole Nalepa, and you're listening to Mommyhood Unscripted, real talk about moms for moms. Welcome to our first episode. Our first guest is an award-winning journalist and media entrepreneur who specializes in the social and economic issues facing moms. Her work has been featured in publications like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic. She's also the creator and host of the podcast, The Double Shift. Please enjoy Katherine Goldstein. Twenty twenty um, was was a seismic uh, change to the whole world, and I think for the first time, people were starting to see the realities that mothers, parents, caregivers were facing were not just a sort of niche hidden issue. Um, things have really exploded in terms of conversation, although I'm not sure they've exploded enough in terms of change. Do you think um, that? It also brought to the forefront, like you said, some issues and maybe in a way it's kind of um, woken up some other people that didn't realize the issues that do face, that moms face, parents face. Yes, definitely. So um, for a long time, I've really been interested in um, economic issues uh, for moms and how, you know, if a woman has a baby between the ages of 25 and 35, her earnings never recover. And that happens to also be prime childbearing years. Um, There's a lot of systemic discrimination against moms. We, of course, currently live in a country with no paid, you know, federal paid family leave. It's only accessible to 23% of the population. Um, And, you know, we have very, very weak social safety nets for families. And there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not the the government or society is responsible at all for helping um, families raise children. In other countries throughout the world, in Europe, in in Canada, there's a sense of social obligation to make um, raising the next generation, like that is something that people should be socially invested in. And in America, we're still very um, entrenched in individualistic ideas about that. So um, definitely, I think, especially the economic impact, um, we're having brand new conversations talking about, you know, childcare, the childcare industry is in free fall, talking about childcare as infrastructure and as part of a healthy economy, that is brand new. You did not see stories about childcare in the New York Times business section before 2021. So there are definitely some big, um, shifts. And certainly men are talking about these issues before because finally people are understanding the status of mothers impacts the entire economy. Yeah. And I mean, I feel as though men in particular found themselves working from home as well since the pandemic started. And we're also falling into some child care roles uh, to help out the other parent, which is interesting because, you know, the stereotypical, you know, the father goes off to work and the mother stays home. That is just not reality anymore. And then, you know, 2020 hits and everything is thrown out the window in terms of what we thought parenting would be like, right? Yes. I mean, I, Nicole, it's interesting that you were use the word dads helping out the other parent, because I think that's actually very indicative of some social ideas that we have that 
the mom is taking care and the dad is helping. And so I, you know, one of the interesting things that I've, some of the studies is that yes, when both parents were, you know, in the 2020 quarantine lockdowns and people were frantically trying to work from home, some of the studies showed that mothers were doing up to four hours more a day of caregiving work than fathers. And there were, I heard so many stories of like, the dad getting the quiet office and the mom getting the kitchen table with like children screaming. So um, I definitely think um, for many dads, there was a, a reality wake up about how, you know, what caregiving was, there was some reshifting of roles, but on a, you know, big picture level moms, a lot of moms doubled down on the caregiving. And, you know, we're seeing that in how many uh, women have left the labor force entirely or scaled back their work. But yeah, all these things were have been up for renegotiation. And, you know, we have to continue to challenge our own own stereotypes about who's supposed to be doing the primary caregiving. That's such a good point. Uh, I'll just bring in a little personal nugget. My husband has been working from home since early um, 2020 and he has not officially gone back. Uh, So he is, you know, at home when our son is there and he for a very long time up until this summer was also taking care of our son while I came in early in the morning and then he would start work when I'd come home at lunchtime. And then sometimes he would have to work until two in the morning. And that's around the time that, you know, I get up for work. So we'd be two ships in the night and it was just a crazy, um, imbalance, I would say, of schedules, you know, it, it, it was a, okay, we don't have any childcare. So here, here, here you go. Here, here's our yeah. son, you know, okay, your turn. It felt like those newborn years when you were just around the clock with the baby, yeah. you know, how do I do this? And it was just weird finding ourselves in this point in time doing that again, but it felt harder <laughs> as a first time yeah. parent. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think, um, you know, so many, I think we, I I really believe that um, we're not meant to raise children in isolation. I think children should be raised in all sorts of different forms of community. And so I think what was so difficult about um, especially the 2020 lockdowns and of course around the world, there have been more lockdowns than what we experienced in America. But I think what was so difficult about that is that, you know, we were being asked to do something that, no one has ever been meant to do. Um, No one, you know, that's not how our society is built. Um, We have schools for a reason. We have grandparents and caregivers and other people for a reason. And the idea that somehow uh, parents can work and simultaneously care for children at the same time in a small space is not something that anyone should have ever thought was possible. So the fact that as a society, we said, good luck with that. I think we're going to be feeling some of the negative effects of that neglig- societal negligence, I think, for a long time. So we were talking about, you know, parenting during this global pandemic, but you were not only parenting um, a young child, but you also gave birth when everything went down. Tell me about that. Yeah. So um, I have a very unique biographical distinction of having twins born one month before the lockdown started. So I thought the wildest thing about my life in 2020 was going to be having twins. And I think, you know, that was like a really big surprise for me and my husband. And 
you know, we really focused in 2019 on strengthening our community and thinking about like, we can't do this alone. Like we're going to need all the help and support we can get. And then of course, um, COVID sort of threw all of that, um, under the bus. And then additionally, our four-year-old was out of school for a number of months. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that when I think about back at that time, you know, I think when I think back at that time, um, it was just completely overwhelming. It was a complete avalanche. Um, newborn twins are, um, (laughs) incredibly relentless And then also having this like energetic, highly social four-year-old was, you know, very much, you know, pushed us to the breaking point over and over. And fortunately, we did have support from uh, my mother-in-law who sort of stayed potted with us and everything. But um, it was, it's definitely, uh, it was definitely a very difficult time. And I think everyone has their own unique um miseries that they went through and a lot of times like we I don't think as a society we've allowed people to process that trauma that grief that difficulty and you know I think as this America likes to sort of sweep things under the rug and say like that's over let's never talk about it again and I don't think that's going to work and I think a lot of people have a lot of unresolved issues and you know fortunately our family was healthy our kids were well taken care of but that's not the case for a lot of people, a lot of kids, a lot of kids were not well taken care of a lot of people lost loved ones. Like I, I think that we still have a lot of reckoning to do with how difficult 2020 was. I think that it's so important that we, as you said, you know, not brush it under the rug and acknowledge that this happened. And guess what, you know, grandma Sue or great grandma so-and-so they didn't likely lived through a global pandemic and parent during a global pandemic. So we are literally starting with a clean slate. No one knows. There's no rule book, no handbook on how to do this. It's, it's wild. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't feel like there's been enough societal acknowledgement. And I think mothers are also conditioned to sort of keep quiet about our experiences. Well, if the kids are okay, then that's all that matters. And, you know, put your needs last and put your experiences last. And I don't think that's healthy. And I also don't think that that's what is going to change, you know, push society forward. Like I, to me, the best thing to come out of this pandemic is some big changes in, you know, how we support families, um, you know, more, a lot more discussion about what it's like to, to be a caregiver in America. And, um, you know, I think that can be in within families, but also on the policy level. And so I think just sort of saying like, oh, well, that's over, isn't going to create any social change, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it allows people to just not like not acknowledge what we've been through or, you know, uh, reckon or compensate in any way what parents and caregivers have been through. So what would you tell moms who haven't processed it yet and are just starting to acknowledge, oh, wow, this has been very traumatic, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I, um, I'm not a mental health clinician. So I want to for, you know, say that before I offer any sort of advice, but, you know, on the show, we've actually, um, we did a two part series um, earlier this year on moms and mental health. um, And, you know, talking both with me and my co host about our own mental health experiences, and also with um, a psychologist. And, you know, I think mental health and, you know, we also had on the show, uh, 
and indigenous motherhood activists that to talk about processing grief and sort of, and some of her um, insight was very um, simple, but very powerful, which is that there's tremendous power in allowing ourselves to feel our feelings and doing that in sometimes in a safe way, you know, um, even if it's just 10 minutes alone, um, you know, in a bathroom or whatever, just like allowing ourselves to feel our feelings is part of the healing process. And I think that people definitely need to destigmatize um, mental health care. Um, and again, like just claiming that we have been through a collective trauma and many other people have many layers of personal trauma on top of that. So, um, you know, I'm a, a big proponent of mental health care. I think also, you know, we should also destigmatize medication. Those things can be very, very helpful as we sort of heal and move forward from um, this time. And yes, we don't know how it ends. And part of that uncertainty is very anxiety producing. We're just constantly on this emotional roller coaster and that takes its toll. And so having, I don't like to use the words self-care because I think that's really overused. But I think um, claiming space for our feelings and our and what we've been through is a very, very important part of uh, our sort of personal and collective healing. Mm-hmm. Finding that safe space, finding that community. You know, I, I have two uh, girlfriends that are both moms and we all had our children right around the same time and just having a group text message for the past year and a half with them, even though, you know, I get up at wacky times of the morning and, or I'm up late at times, you know, we just drop a line, how you doing, checking in with one another. And I think having that safe space, even if it is through text message, you know, or virtually right now, it's so important to find those people in your community, you know, I'm, I'm, I totally agree. I'm a huge believer in finding community and, you know, we've really been challenged on that in a number of ways, but I do think finding community um, and sometimes it can be hard to invest in relationships when you're feeling really depleted or if you're feeling depressed or if you're feeling, you know, really down. But I think um, investing in those communities can have a huge positive impact and sort of is maybe the only way out of this. (laughs) Right. I think one thing that um, we've been personally struggling with. And when I say we, my girlfriends and I, uh, this safe space I have is the fact that not everyone is on the same page, um, in terms of what safe is during this pandemic. And, and that's so hard, you know, what's safe for me may not be safe for you or vice versa. And, um, it's hard to maneuver that as a parent. And as you're trying to, you know, learn how to deal with your child's development or children's development and emotions. And then it just, it kind of feels like everything is way more complicated than it ever should have been. And it's frustrating. The thing that I could offer is like, you know, we live in a time of really intense judgment and we're rewarded from, for judging each other on social media. We're, we're a very reactive culture and people. And I think like, we can approach the people in our lives that we love without as much judgment, like that potentially is much more relationship saving than, you know, screaming about how horrible they are on Facebook. Like, I don't think that really gets us to a point. Where we go. <laughs> no, no, but I don't like, I don't see like what that, what the payoff of that is in the long, 
Right. Sort of a, fun. a really tense holiday next year. Yeah. That's what that, right. <laughs> um, I, I know we have a limited time here, but I did want to bring up, uh, you know, you, you said self-care, uh, you don't like to use that cause it's an overused term. Um, another overused term that I read an article, which you wrote was working mothers. You don't, you stop saying that phrase. Can you yeah. dive into that? Yeah, this was a big realization for me because, I mean, the original tagline of our, of, you know, the show that I make was um, a show about a new generation of working mothers. And I, I, you know, so I very much have claimed that working mother identity for myself and, you know, really, you know, champion the unique, um, unique challenges for working mothers. And the reason that I no longer use that is that I think it's really important to acknowledge that caregiving is work. And if people are not working for pay, that does not mean they are not working. And we are also living in a time where employment and career and identity and working or not working for pay has gone through huge fluctuations, huge, you know, a lot of people have spent time out of the paid labor force, not by choice, but sort of by force, um, because they didn't have childcare or they were laid off or any number of things. So I think those binaries like working mom versus stay at home mom, just like don't apply anymore. And, um, I think we should better value, um, all caregiving and all the work that mothers and caregivers do. So, you know, I do think mothers in the workforce have some unique challenges, unique um, issues around pay discrimination and bias. So I do understand that there's some need for some delineation. So I use now use the term um, employed mothers um, as, you know, one way to talk about it. But the idea that, you know, somehow if you are caring for children, you are not working or not contributing, I think is based in a lot of ideas that only money, only if you're earning money is your work valuable. And I like really want to reject that. Wow. That's such an interesting concept. It all comes back to measuring each other, right. By how much we make. Right. And that's a very capitalistic and male dominated way of looking at the world that all, all the only value is through money. So I think that that is one way we can challenge that is to not buy into that. I feel like working mothers is such a crutch word that we do use, you know, to describe each other. Um, But in actuality, when I use it, sometimes I go, well, I'm a mom working at home too. I may be going into the office, you know, and, and doing my thing that doesn't involve my son, but I'm still going home and I'm on 24 seven. Honestly, sometimes the hardest parts of my day are from, you know, 6am to 845 when we have a caregiver who starts taking care of our twins. And like, you know, sometimes that is absolutely the most challenging time. And my time at my computer is like downtime. by comparison. So I just think that, um, yeah. And I think also, you know, because uh, women face um, obstacles in earning as much after they have children and they do, you know, deal with pay discrepancies and inequalities, you know, again, always saying, you know, your salary or your, your income is directly tied to your worth um, is something we can continue to challenge um, and sort of think about in a much more uh, nuanced way. We so often have these quiet conversations in our heads about things. And sometimes I think 
for whatever reason, we kind of oppress them, you know, oh, I feel guilty that I want some time to myself. I, or I hear this and I feel this way. Sometimes I feel guilty that I enjoy being at work and having a break. That's okay. You should be, you should be able to feel okay that you have a break. You know, you shouldn't be constantly, you know, feeling like you have to act or, or, or think a certain way or that you're being a bad mom. If you do this, you know what I mean? It's why do we put so much pressure and guilt on ourselves? I don't understand. that. (laughs) I'm really interested in this question because I think, you know, guilt, um, protects the status quo. So guilt keeps us from demanding more for ourselves. It keeps us from challenging unequal partnerships. It keeps us from changing our workplaces. It keeps us from demanding more from our government or better policies. Um, So guilt keeps us small. And I, so I'm very interested in how we unlock that, you know, back to the first part of your questions in how we create social change and create, so not just sort of continue business as usual. I mean, and what is coming next and what's going to happen? You know, that is the question. Like, can we galvanize people? You know, are, you know, what are we going to change? I mean, that's up to you and I and anyone listening. Like, what's going to change? Well, like, nobody is, it, I think this pandemic has made it brutally clear that nobody's coming to stand up for moms um, unless we get angry and stand up for ourselves. And I think we see that on a number of different issues in the, you know, policy front. Um, and so to me, you know, what, there's a quote that, um, uh, Arundhati Roy, Arundhati Roy, the author says, has said, which I think is really interesting, which is like, um, the pandemic is a portal and where it takes us is up to us. So still up to us. Um, and we're still very much at a moment where things can go in many different directions. And so that's, scary, but also exciting, you know, like we can make a difference. And I think that's that roller coaster of emotions you feel, you know, when you, when we were stuck at home or or safe at home, whichever way you want to, you know, look at it, (laughs) um, that we had a lot of time to contemplate and reflect on things. And now as we're slowly easing back into society, many of us, it's okay, well, what are we going to do with all of that time we had to think and all of these emotions that were coming up? You know, I think we can still tap into them. They're still pretty raw. We can feel them, but what are we going to do with those feelings? You're right. It's like two roads or are you going to do something with it? Or are you going to just brush it under the rug? (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I do think like, you know, all those feelings that so many parents, moms, caregivers experienced of like, oh my gosh, this is not okay. Like that, you know, those feelings, like, um, uh, I, you know, I want people to not forget that (laughs) basically like, okay. So your daycare reopened still the fact that you have to pay more than your mortgage for it. And like, they're really understaffed and like in collapse, that's not okay. Um, you know, just because like, maybe you have some semblance of, you know, you know, because the public schools have reopened, like what we went through with them being closed was not okay. So, you know, these things are, I I don't want people to lose that. And, you know, I think the, the people in power and the status quo would love for us to sort of, you know, not to just to forget about that and, you know, not not tap into that feeling of how not okay it was. So I, I definitely think that they're in processing those emotions and getting in touch with 
anger um, is really powerful. And we all share that commonality, you know, of wanting to be heard and, and wanting to work through this. And, you know, I feel like the main theme of this is the community will help get you through that like-minded community, you know, it's out there for you. Yes. So, and I so appreciate your time today, Catherine, for speaking with me. Um, I think our listeners are going to benefit from it. I think you are amazing with not only the work that you do, the champion work that you do, you know, um, but also for being a, a, a kick butt mom with twins and a young uh, four, five years old. Well, years. he was four the star of the pandemic. Okay. So now- Six. <laughs> oh, six. Oh, geez. Wow. Time flies okay. when you have a global pandemic, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and how can people reach you on Instagram? What's your Twitter handle or Instagram sure. handle? So uh, for the double shift, it's at the double shift. And my personal one is K-G-E-E-E with three E's. Wait, no, sorry. That's my Twitter handle. Oh my okay. gosh. Oh, we'll get that in too. Sure. <laughs> Twitter is really my power space. So if you uh, want to feel the, get in the circle of my righteous anger, Twitter is the place for that. (laughs) (laughs) And my handle is K-G-E-E-E. And my Instagram is Catherine at Catherine Goldstein. Um, And also check out the show. Um, You can find it at the double shift and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if, the work means something to you. I welcome and appreciate anyone who wants to become a member. Awesome. Thank you so much, Catherine. I appreciate again, your time and your insight and uh, yeah, let's, let's keep building that community. (laughs) Hang in there. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on the show. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to mommyhood unscripted, share it with your friends too. It's available on iTunes, Google play, Roku, and everywhere else you get your podcast. I'm Nicole Nalepa. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, Mama, you're doing great.